and welcome to the Crate and Crowbar, a gaming podcast. This is episode 411, being recorded on the 20th of November, 2022, and I'm Marsh Davis. This evening I'm joined by Chris Thurston. Hello. Hi. Hi and welcome. Hello. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. <laughs> so I just started hosting then. I don't know what came <laughs> over me. I sort of didn't make a plan before talking. I just slipped into a comfortable default. That's fair enough. Let me tell you about something, Chris. Okay. Let me tell you something about that changed my life today. Oh, wow. I had a chicken shawarma wrap mm. from the Golden Chicken and Meat Market in Dearborn, just outside of Detroit. And boy... It was a good chicken shawarma wrap. Like, I know, you know, you have some, like, chicken wraps, and, it's you know, they're just, they're just about identifiable as protein inside. Mm. And, like, you know, they're draped in something that might easily be two sheets of bounty for all the flavor that it has. And, you know, it's fine. You know, I, I'd happily, I've eaten many, a, a, a fairly disappointing wrap in a pinch on a stationed platform waiting for, like, the delayed Paddington train or whatever. Right. But this was revelatory. It was it wasn't even like another tier of food above. It was like another eight tiers of food above. It was an incredible chicken shawarma wrap, Chris. Mm-hmm. If I die an untimely death, then I will yeah. donate my body to the golden chicken and meat market. And they're gonna <laughs> fucking marinate me in that stuff and serve me up and it'll be an honor. That's not even a like a weird kink I have. That's that's just how good <laughs> the food was. It's good enough that you wish to be like it's it's become your new like your funerary practice. That's like that's a that's, <laughs> that's, that's where all a, my people have gone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Start volunteering others. I had a great schwam. I don't want to derail a bit, but I had a great schwam wrap last week as well. Oh yeah. Um. Yeah. Where I had from? A lamb schwam wrap. It was from a place in Camden Dock mm. in London, England, UK, and um, it was fantastic. Like I've actually been largely vegan recently not just vegetarian um but i reserve the right to eat meat if i decide to <laughs> and um the more that you know not which is the loosest rule ever which means that i'm not really a vegan but I just eat a lot of that not meat food good god i need to work, warm up a bit hang on i'm just gonna stretch oh oh dear the bean jambalaya I made for dinner has made me slow and cautious <laughs> this herbivorous life i'm eating uh, eating, living, preparing me for nothing if not destruction at the hands of a really capable leopard. So, what, um, what do you have in a jambalaya in in place of the um, the meaty parts? Um, well, I mean, it's it's. I mean, I, I guess it's it's sort of jambalaya and a technicality because there's like some Cajun spices in it, and I use like just various sort of pulses and you know like chickpeas and. Um, uh, uh, red kidney beans, and you just make sure you got a lot of fragrant veg sizzling away in there and then just slowly cook some brown rice in it. It's really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, healthy living, healthy living, a couple of jalapenos, spice it up a bit. Uh, delicious, you know. Wow. Slather in hot sauce, gobble, gobble, gobble. Very nice. <laughs> I was in Camden and it was pissing down at rain. I had, um, I just, you know, lamb is one of those meats where occasionally, um, you know, I, I basically will break, uh, I will break for meat when it, there's like a reason that meat should be in that dish and lamb often justifies itself. Um, and it really did beautifully spiced, very, I, I, I was, um, I was some sort of, um, 
like uh, Taziki Elemental at the end of it, though. Just truly, I was glad that it was raining so that my sins, my kind of um, my kind of mayonnaise sins, could kind of drain away into the gutter. <laughs> Whatever kind of minty yogurt I was drenched in could could be kind of purged from me, like at the end of the Shawshank Redemption, oh. as I walked the rest of the way to the Mountain Goats gig I was going to. <laughs> <laughs> this is a potent image. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm like, I, I need you to taste it. You're, I, 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 I presume you were going somewhere with your chicken. Well, experience. so this, this entire back page pod homage introduction that I've set up here was uh, in order to set up a segue because I see from mm. my notes that you want to talk to us about your succulent white meat with a saline tang. Call of Duty. <laughs> <laughs> cod. Um, cod. Cod. You had the right instinct initially that you should have hosted this. <laughs> <laughs> you said you had a way into COD, and I was like, I trust you. And I, we've been doing this no. for almost a decade, and, <laughs> um, <laughs> and I haven't learned. Um, no, I mean, well, actually, we're on the same page here in many ways, because um, actually, actually, this segue is going to work way better than you think. Before I talk about Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, a game I've played 55 hours of now, so I, I feel like I've got a fair amount to say about it, uh, and that should also act as an indication that I'm enjoying it, I do find that this this COD experience, if you will permit me, it is, particularly at first, a guilty pleasure that I didn't expect to kind of keep coming back to. I would describe it as, in some ways... If I was trying to sort of, I guess, um, safeguard myself against the, the the sneers of my peers when I'm like, I think COD is good, actually. I do feel like it is the game equivalent of like eating an entire chicken McNuggets share box by yourself sometimes. In that I want to do that. But doing it a lot maybe indicates that something's up. You know what I mean? Like there's a sort of, but at the same time, it's a product of an industrial process uh, designed to create a very consistent experience. And some of the things involved in that, both industrial nature of the process, the hugely corporate nature of its production and all of those things and are a little bit unnerving. And you don't necessarily want to know how it's made. You don't want to know, necessarily know where that meat comes from. At the same time, the consistency of it, and indeed, in some ways, its qualities, which it absolutely has, are very desirable and comforting mm. and right there in front of you. And so all this to say, you run something with that, you know, you've had a delicious geo-specific chicken experience. Um, I have been gorging myself on a sort of universal platonic solid, effectively, <laughs> but it tastes like chicken. Um, and I have lost control of this metaphor. And I, <laughs> at this point, I'm just going to ride on its roof, which it will let me do for some reason, all the way down to the bottom of this hill while it'll explode. But yeah, I've been playing loads of COD. And, um, for a bit of context, this is because the, because these games are so confusing, the, the sort of the, the annual nature of them, I think they're annual, um, means that there have been several CODs since the last COD I played, which was modern, the new Modern Warfare. Um, yeah, I'm really confused by this, because I, I thought that the last one I played uh, was called Call of Duty Modern Warfare, uh, which, but and then that feels like that was many years ago now. It was. 
Okay, right. Is that the one which had the sort of hyper-violent Home Alone sequence in which you play a child who scuttles around the furniture and repeatedly yes. stabs a Russian man with screwdrivers? Yes. And how many other CODs have existed since then? Two. Oh, okay. Black Ops something and Vanguard. Oh. Neither of which I played. And then this one, Modern Warfare 2, again. It's Modern Warfare 2 also, because there's already been one of them, but this is the other one. Um is the new one but also crucially it feels like it feels like this like so this is why it's so confusing because mod- the, the the modern warfare reboot led into things like warzone being released which kind of was built on the same platform and then warzone sort of grew and adapted with the other new games gaining like 1980s cold war weaponry from the new black ops game and then loads of world war ii stuff from the from Vanguard, and that all kind of coalesced into Warzone. And so it was really one feature set in some ways, moving from game to game. Um, And then this one feels like the actual sequel to all of them, in that it feels like the new baseline for Call of Duty. But that's not to say that the previous two games were expansions to the games before that, just so much that they were sort of like plugged in on top of it, like... um, like on the, uh, what was the, the thing for the Mega Drive where you could plug games into other games? Do you remember that? Mm. Basically that, um, this sort of teetering pile of CODs um, that they ended up with. And um, so the new one, is, it feels like a kind of uh, a clean slate in some ways. And as of the last week, it's now been kind of expanded to include its kind of full feature set, including Warzone 2, which I will also speak about. But... Um, And I think this is going to be the interesting, this is the, not to kind of like, um, there's there's so many things to dig into in terms of its campaign and everything else, but I will say this sort of off the bat, this is, I think this might be the most full featured game I've ever seen in some ways. It's insane. (laughs) It's everything. It is, it's a kind of, I mean, if you can, if you can stomach the modern military stylings and all that stuff, and there's reason to, it's very fun. Um, It is... It's, I mean, and I, the sort of the bullet point back of the box feature completeness isn't really a selling point for a game when you want games to do something well, but it is a, you know, decent length, varied, high production value FPS campaign, a really solid co-op game in, in the traditional sense, in terms of like, you know, um, co-op play and kind of horde mode type stuff. It is a extremely full-featured and broad deathmatch, quick play, you know, FPS action game that feels like Goldeneye more than anything else. I think COD, I think understanding modern warfare COD as a as a kind of heir to Goldeneye is maybe an angle that people don't take enough, but they should because it really is in terms of the combination of like high time to kill, or sorry, low time to kill, high lethality and gadgets and stuff like that. Um. It's got a CSGO mode. It's got a Rainbow Six mode. It's got a Battle Royale. It's now got a Tarkov or a Hunt built into it. It has basically everything now. And it's extraordinary how broad it is. And then its interlinked progression systems are better implemented than they were previously. So just on that alone, it feels like if you, if one of the, the position I find myself in as someone who enjoys the fundamentals of COD a great deal and, um, I find myself playing it instead of any of the other games that are in it because <laughs> yeah. Counter-Strike, like, you know, CS, you know, Counter-Strike 
or Valorant, for example, are better Counter-Strike games than COD's sort of quick play version of it. But I, I, and I mean that in the sort of the technical sense, the competitive sense, but I kind of have more fun playing the COD one because I can then play that and I can immediately then play some deathmatch or something or kind of completely different space. I have no doubt that Apex Legends, for example, or PUBG are kind of classier battle or as even Fortnite kind of classier battle royales than Warzone can be sometimes. Hmm. Uh, but I actually think they've made it very good. It's been my favorite battle royale for years. The new one, which I want to talk about, is very good. Um, Hunt is, you know, best game on the PC, basically, as far as I'm concerned at the moment. But Call of Duty's version of it is doing loads of things that are really cool. Oh, really? And so it becomes, yeah, and so it becomes this sort of omni game where um, you load up its ill-advised TV kind of main menu style menu system and you can just sort of vanish into a world of gruff men who talk like this because they're in all armies at the same time. <laughs> um, and go war criming with friends or alone. And, um, yeah, it's, there's something about, like, I, I think it, it feels extremely successful to me. And I had the realization today, really, di really digging into the Tarkovi mode, the DMZ it's called, that I think it's actually very good. The game, I mean, mm. like I sort of, but it's so broad that I feel like it's actually sort of, um, it's probably difficult. Maybe Warzone stands alone. I think DMZ stands alone to some extent as well. But it's probably like the case that we could go super deep on almost any aspect of it. But the thing that impresses me about it is what a complete thing it is. Yeah. In in an in an era of you know fifty to seventy quid games feeling like big investments for you know the amount you get out of them, and, and I'm always wary of kind of amount of content as an indicator of like. Um, the value of a, a game or something like that. This has been one of the first times in a while where I've been like, man, you you, you buy this. And I mean, obviously it's an Activision game, so it's absolutely laden in, in sort of other systems and progression and battle passes and stuff like that. But fuck me, you could basically just play this all year, <laughs> right? Like the sort of, you know, it sort of, it stands in for every other shooter, basically. It's um, kind of extraordinary in that regard. Yeah. I mean, I think that's always been the case to some extent with Call of Duty. Like, I mean... There are many criticisms you can level against it, <laughs> and mm. I'm sure we will. But like the one thing you have to admire is their production management. <laughs> like it's such a uh, even going back many years now when they had you know started introducing the zombies mode and all these other things. It was just an incredibly maximalist product, you know. Um, but mm. it's also executed with a really wise level of economy, you know, it, despite being incredibly generous with all of its modes and, you know, obviously there's, they've spent a lot of money to ensure that it is this incredibly meaty, everything to everyone package that, you know, your garden variety lad will buy once a year, play every Friday with the other lads and feel completely satisfied. And yet you get the sense that everything has been just scoped to the, the, the perfect level of complexity that it needs to be in order to deliver that slick, partially interactive neocon fantasy, <laughs> at, least in the, <laughs> at least in the campaign mode, um, which is not to say that it lacks any kind of polish or pizzazz or anything like that. And, you know, I think it's at least a gorgeous looking game as long as you're looking in the right direction. Uh, and, you know, if you push at the edges of that intended experience, things tend to snap in a second. But I think because of the way that they've iterated on the multiplayer modes, particularly, 
they've got to a much higher level of sophistication with those multiplayer modes than they have necessarily with the campaign, which I think is still, you know, very trammeled and, and very fragile. Whereas I think their the multiplayer modes have just got more and more robust with every installation. And it's, uh, you know, I, I, in, in many ways, it is a despicable and vile product. <laughs> but then it is also uh, an incredibly generous and impressive one, certainly. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of, I guess the, you know, to kind of, I think you kind of have to talk about the campaign to break into the rest of it. But what's interesting to me about the camp, so there's, there are things that you're right about the kind of trammeled and kind of specific nature of the campaign and it's sort of set piece based nature, you know, being intended to kind of deliver you almost like a kind of slideshow kind of of its kind of most spectacular bits to some extent. However, this is a, it's an extraordinarily, extraordinary technical achievement, this game, in terms of like the depth of detail and its massive open world maps and multiplayer, for example. And the the reason to talk about the campaign first, which is unusual for these kinds of games, is it's a sort of teaser introduction to how high those production values get, but mm-hmm. it gets higher, <laughs> which is interesting, than the campaign is. Like the campaign obviously has some moments that are very, very carefully staged and constructed. Um... But it is two things at once, and I think one of them is very successful, and the other bears dwelling on because I think it's like, um, you know, it the game's tonal issues, and it absolutely has them, right? Like, I find myself sort of not quite wanting to approach this from the angle of, like, can you make a war game, <laughs> basically, because... You, you, people can and do and obviously and i think anyone listening to this knows already if they find the notion of like a kind of pseudo modern pseudo real kind of um clancy story to their taste or not right like the 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 you know is this a good example of the form absolutely fucking not is it is it egregious yes absolutely is it the most egregious the series has ever been no probably talked to that as well Mm. but you know is it um is it hilariously like tone deaf yes um all of that stuff is it's most acute in the campaign and to the extent that it's present elsewhere it's it's just to the extent that any game that has modern firearms being shot in sort of semi-realistic looking environments suffers for that. It's nowhere near as noticeable because, um, you know, the the rest of the time it's just this big cartoon, really. Um, what impresses about the campaign, though, where it succeeds, I think, is it has this structure. So it, its biggest issue is, consi- is inconsistency. Like every, you know, it, every mission is different. It's going for that Titanfall 2 Half-Life thing of like missions give you a new mechanic or a new trick and you play with it until you've demonstrated mastery of it and then you may never see it again with one or two exceptions. However, about half of those mechanics that you learn in the campaign, some of which are quite specific, are actually broad mechanics for the game as a whole, things you will find yourselves doing again later in multiplayer or playing like in the sandbox and things like that. Hmm. And so its purpose as a kind of corridor introduction to the broad systems of this big combat sandbox that they've built um, is actually like, it's interesting. I didn't know that that was what it was doing until I suddenly found myself, for example, um, coordinating timed, coordinating takedowns of sentry guards in the co-op mode with a friend 
in using exactly the same sort of timings and techniques right. that you do with an AI buddy in its version of all gillied up, for example. Like it's it's the the thing that so there are plenty of things about it where it just throws in a mechanic for one mission only or something like mm. that, or something is heavily scripted. However, that is almost like a distraction from the fact that it is quite a like uh, robust sandbox underneath the hood, <laughs> which oh, is really interesting. interesting. Like the you know, it's almost like you know, like they'll throw in dialogue options for a mission that are completely pointless, but <laughs> yeah. they will do it anyway. And the the kind of the lavish sort of production values on display there, the sort of all the occasional Uncharted style thing where you're on rails so they can deliver a particular moment, which, which COD has always done. Um, those things are definitely there. But if you have an eye for this kind of design, you see that and it makes you assume that everything is doing is similarly smoke and mirrors or similarly like yeah. kind of, uh, shadow puppet show. That was actually half of it isn't. Half of it are just game systems that you will be using in Battle Royale. You're using regular multiplayer. You're using co-op. You're using uh, the DMZ mode. Like, um, like, and that's what surprises me about it. Like, under its under the hood of the new one, I think it's you know the most. It's definitely the best card game I think there's ever met been because it has all of the bones and all of the kind of fundamental gameplay and systems necessary to just turn to SWAT sometimes or Operation Flashpoint or like or a kind of accessible take on armor when you're in the open world, spotting targets, hmm. considering the distance of things, tricking AI guards or sounding alarms. Like its AI is pretty good, for example. Like things you wouldn't expect. Um, and I'm pretty impressed by that. Like, and I say all this because I do want to talk about the campaign because I think there's such a deep well of things to take the piss out of there. <laughs> do you? But, um, do, is yeah. is the um. Is the point where you accidentally end up hanging upside down from a helicopter? Is that uh, does that get fleshed out into a systemic action? No, elsewhere. But, okay, <laughs> but just wanted to the check. the sequence that follows where you can smoothly move from the inside of vehicles to the top of vehicles yeah, and jump right. between vehicles, and there are no clipping issues with that, and it doesn't freak out and it doesn't break. Mm -hmm. That works consistently across the entire game, right? Like. They have incredibly well and in, well implemented hitboxes and physics for vehicles, and it uses it in that mission. And that's like that mission is an interesting one because the bit where you're dangling upside down from a helicopter above a car chase in a Middle Eastern country, and it's all really silly, and everyone's yelling, is whilst another vehicle is throwing out giant red flashing bombs from the back oh, of it, God. like Bowser. <laughs> yeah, but the Bowser car is also killing like civilians before your eyes as they're kind of hapless SUVs veer into the Bowser bombs that are being thrown into the road. <laughs> like that is almost a perfect example of its tonal fucking clusterfuck of yeah. a thing. But the fact that you, you know, it'll tell you like, you know, to basically use a vehicle until it's been shot up and you jump out of your vehicle and jump onto the next one. Like you're in fucking just cause and you, you know, shoot the driver in that one, you get into that car. All of that stuff is completely analog and it's mm. completely driven by fundamental gameplay systems. It's not a quick time event where you are, you know, you have to get to the correct next car because that's the one that the game is kind of rigged up to allow you to do, right? Yeah. And then suddenly, as in my case, 30 hours with the game later, you find yourself herring across the wilderness in a big car and in getting into a car chase in Warzone and the same systems work the same way. Nice. And that's like that. That stuff impresses me. I think that stuff, you know, that stuff almost like it's like, you know, that's that is the gourmet quality to this particular chicken nugget. I gotta <laughs> say, where you're like, actually, a certain sort of industrial resource was put into 
um, was put into gear here to to kind of you know make this experience quite as consistent as it is. This doesn't apply to chicken nuggets necessarily, although they are very consistent. You got to give mm. them that. Um, um, but yeah, like I think you know, COD has always had its kind of systemic depth or its specificities in multiplayer, but it's nice to see that stretch across the span of a game that's as broad as this is, right? Like. It doesn't, they still have the problem where it sometimes feels like you're loading up three separate executables. This is the least of that problem of any recent game like this that I've played hmm. in the, you know, the rules apply fairly, fairly across the span of it. Um, so yeah, um, we should talk about, because this is what I'm saying, the campaign is like a six to seven hour game with some good bits and quite a lot of dross in it, but because it's going to be most people, like the way I think I would frame it is if you are open to kind of, if you're curious about, it's a it's a kind of decent FPS campaign. You know, it's not a great one. It's like a six out of 10 FPS campaign. But if you like FPS campaigns, then I would probably play it for that reason. You probably already know if you're likely to find it so distasteful that you won't enjoy it. In which case, mm. don't play it. Just don't. <laughs> like, you know, play some Warzone or something. It's free. Um, but um, I think... For every anyone in the middle, I think it's a, such a strange curio of a thing that I quite—I wouldn't say I enjoyed it because I think it has some problems. Um, but I found myself variously genuinely impressed with some of its set pieces and really taken aback by how, maybe even to the point of being impressed by the kind of contortionist performance of its writing and plotting as it desperately tries to find a way to be desperately tries to be inoffensive as each decision it makes, makes it incredibly more so. <laughs> and because it is, it is, and it is earnestly pulling in two separate directions. Like, Oh, there's the, the, the most beautiful illustration of exactly that is when you are racing through a border town between Mexico and the United States, crashing through civilian houses, and it says, press this button to de-escalate civilians who would otherwise be angry with you at barging into their home. But then you press the button, and it's the button makes you aim at them with a gun. Yeah, <laughs> It's like, well, you know, plus points for the idea of de-escalation, de minus several thousand points for the, for the particular variety of de-escalation that you chose. Well, this is the thing, because like, I mean, that, that mission is, I mean, that I, I saw that come up, that's like the third mission in the game, I think, I saw it come up in a lot of commentary, because it is the most hilarious. The thing about Call of Duty is it will take the sort of the tropes and trappings of real world events and sort of drop them wherever it can find space into its sort of weird cartoonish milieu of like geopolitics. It doesn't make any sense. In that particular mission, you know, yeah, you're, you're, you're tracking some, I mean, so it's worth, it's worth zooming out a bit for the entire COD worldview. In Call of Duty, the world is divided into basically two camps because they don't really want it to be about nations anymore necessarily. And they're not quite ready in this particular, in the modern warfare series to just create a kind of evil super corporation or something like that, or just go futuristic as they have done in other contexts. So what you have is just like some lads and their friends, some of whom are women who are in army 
It's not any specific army. It's army. They're in. They're from army. World army. You've got Ghost and Price and Gaz and Salt McDavish, and they're all in army. Even though there's four British men, they work exclusively for army, which is America, I think. But crucially, it also includes like some Mexican guys they meet and like uh, you know uh, Middle Eastern freedom fighters. Basically, it's just army. It's Team America logic, pretty much. And then everyone else in the world is either in a PMC or a cartel, or maybe they're maybe they're terrorists, or they might be if it's feeling cheeky Russian. And like that's it. Those are the two sides basically, and they get really fuzzy. So in that particular mission you're talking about, you the you know the Americans know that some South American cartel people are going to try and smuggle a terrorist from iran across the southern border from mexico into the u.s so you play as mexican special forces but that just sort of inexplicably also work for army big army um because as they chase these terrorists over hilariously trump's fucking border wall into into southern texas where they then as you say placate american you know trailer park folk by pointing guns at them and then there's a sequence where if you fail to de-escalate a situation or put your gun away in time you can be killed by the police um which is obviously incredibly loaded but don't worry if you do de-escalate a situation the police are then attacked by cartel terrorists with rocket launchers which (laughs) it's parody it's it's so dumb it's so dumb but the thing that I find kind of so kind of silly about it is it's absolute contortion into like, well, we don't want to create the impression that um, we are, you know, demonizing, you know, uh, Mexicans or people from any part of South America. So you're going to play as some good ones who are in the same army we're in, like, for fuck's sake, <laughs> like, and like, you know, and this is sort of the baseline that like, well, and then, and then a lot of the villains are American, um, you know, so it's this act of both sidesism that is fucking like six dimensional into in its complexity in an attempt to say nothing while accidentally setting off like every red flag in every direction at the same time, like it bumbling through a minefield. I don't know that it's intentionally trying to say nothing. I think it's presenting intentionally a confusing uh, picture of the world, um, which is murky and everybody's dirty and uh, problems can only be solved with a bullet. I don't think that's in order to make it more palatable to, say, liberal audiences. I think that's to muddy the waters more and more. And I think that's an intentional and propagandist <laughs> intention. I agree. To me, it feels more compromised than that. It is It obviously, like, it's a deeply individualistic, deeply paranoid game. It it is it's deeply conservative and plays specifically to American conservative paranoias, basically. Um, and and, and it also it's kind of rugged individualism, also deeply American conservative in that way as well. However, I, I feel I get the I get a more anxious impression from it in terms of what it's trying to to do and particularly if you compare it to the games that it's remaking one thing to note about this one is so the the original modern warfare remake the you know the the 2019 game whenever it was that one sets this one this that one sort of like you know was a was a, a retro throwback to classic modern warfare in some ways but it didn't actually like you know beyond having price in it 
um, it didn't really kind of go deep on nostalgia for Modern Warfare or Modern Warfare 2, mm. the originals. Uh, this one goes super fucking deep on it. Like, Soap and Ghost were brought back in in Warzone, actually, originally. Um, and this this game, in addition to doing its own stuff, has tributes to missions from Modern Warfare. Even though this is technically Modern Warfare 2, it's in some ways a remake of Modern Warfare 1 with elements of Modern Warfare 2 in it. Um, with many of the same set pieces and missions and so on. So it has that thing going on, that kind of like, hey, remember this story? We're going to kind of retell it. But we're going to add additional depth to all these characters and we're going to kind of make it less cartoonish and we're going to do loads of really specifically detailed mocap, which means that every character can just sort of like pout a lot, like a lot. Like they, they're constantly like looking at a laptop or a piece of Intel or down the scope and then just sort of like, Pursing their lips like those cutscenes are incredible. Like uh, yeah, just the 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 level of mocap is 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 is, uh, really impressive. And I think you know, there's something about the way it's shot. I I I imagine some you know a film study student could get a lot out of this because there's a way in which it's shot which is to sort of service the fact they've spent a lot of money on the motion capture, and it means you get a lot of very luxurious close up shots of people's faces. Which it doesn't mm. necessarily happen. The way that the conversations are framed wouldn't necessarily be the same as you would see in television or in other you know forms of cinema. Like there's something very pointed about the way it 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 points the camera at people's faces, so you can see them emote, uh, and they they're given time to have subtle emotions in a way which you definitely wouldn't see in say a Tom Clancy adaptation, <laughs> like right. Glenn Morse Morshower or Morsehower, I don't know how you pronounce his name, who is a guy who has played more generals I think than maybe any other person <laughs> on television. Like yeah, I wonder, right. I wonder if he holds the record for the person who said "son" the most. Like he has addressed <laughs> yeah. so many people as "son." Uh, but yeah, he has his what a what a face, what a face for mm. Yeah, and and they you know they extend that across the entire thing. But this brings me to kind of what I was going to say, where I think it's anxiety comes from is, I I think it goes deeper on interpersonal relationships than it needs to to achieve the name the aims that you set out about like peace can only be achieved with a bullet ghost that kind of thing. Um, partly through the, the sort of the intensity of that acting and partly through a lot of very specific decisions it makes where, yeah, I mean, I, and I accept that it's part of its worldview that like, can't trust government, can't trust PMCs. All you can trust is the men in your unit. Um, that sort of worldview. Um, but it sort of mod, like they do the most appalling things. Task force one, four, one, just four great friends who go on war together. All of them. One of whom's a skull. Di- yeah, Ghost, the best character in any anything, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. I fucking love him. And and so uh, there's a context here, which is that call it, war, original Warzone basically got me and, and friend of Pod, Paul Canavan, through, through the pandemic, basically, playing it every morning. And a mythology developed around some of these characters, but specifically Ghost, because... They in in the original modern warfare, he was a guy in a balaclava which had like a kind of Punisher skull spray painted on top of it, right? Which is like edgy, but it's sort of it kind of somewhat not believable that you'd be allowed to wear that in regular army, but it's just over the over the line into like theming. When they redesigned him for the new one, he's wearing like a like a resin skull mask, um, and he has a little cape. 
And so it's gone from like, it's Ghost, <laughs> the only man in army who's allowed to wear a costume. <laughs> and like, and don't don't ask him. And there's even like a scene where people are like, you know, why do you wear that costume, Ghost? And he's like, I don't want to talk about it. And <laughs> and it's in this air, it's in this air of like, don't ask him about it. It's his comfort costume. All right. Like war's very scary. He likes to dress up as a skeleton. Why is he called Ghost? We don't know. <laughs> um and and like the game splits off for most of it into sort of two pairings. There's this price and Gaz, the Gaz being the younger recruit from from the previous game, um, based roughly on a character from the original Modern Warfare, and they have this sort of like, um, I'm not sure it's, it's not necessarily like a, uh, a, a, a you know a father son dynamic, but they're sort of like you know it's sort of you know mentor mentee relationship, and then you've got it's, it's Soap and ghost the um the kind of <laughs> like buddy romance just it's it's honestly like but you know it's easy to ship these characters and you should and will by the end of the campaign <laughs> uh if you don't play it to the end you're missing probably the best scene best cut scene ever recorded in the game um which i want to talk about but i can't because spoilers i guess but i mean <laughs> the mask stays on I'll, that's all i'll say um but um uh, the the thing it models weirdly is men supporting each other constantly. Like they're never shits to each other. They constantly and it, sometimes this is because they're one of them's always tutorializing for another one based on whichever one you're playing. But they're constantly reinforcing each other's positive decisions, offering personal pertinent details, letting people figure them out for themselves, and treating each other with respect. It's like there's this been this sort of like. <laughs> There's this effort that like they just and they meet new people from different cultural backgrounds. And as long as they're in army and are roughly on the side of finding a missile, which is the only side that exists. Um, it's like it's just a story of a lot of men coming to respect each other in a sort of handshaky kind of way. And whenever they are and all women in the world in this in this universe are universally um uh, leaders who are more competent than the men around them who are listened to specifically because you can tell this because every scene they film with a woman involves the women explaining something pertinent to the men and the men all stand like in a kind of equidistant eight foot semicircle listening patiently and offering only pertinent information in return <laughs> and acting very respectfully the other way and occasionally musing to each other afterwards during the missions about how impressive those people are and how much they respect them without crossing any boundaries. And it's like, it's like, oh, the lads, it's a wholesome bunch of lads and they really do support each other as they go off doing war crimes, exclusively war crimes everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I really and did it, um, yeah. push the, the level of respect between, uh, uh, my character and prices to the limit <laughs> as I, I chronically fucked up the sequence he was trying to tutorialize. <laughs> and after a while, he just stopped chastising me. He was just like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh and like, there's, because um, there there's a lot of shit missions in it and some of its sort of tricks become very old. But then like that, that guy's in price, its version of all gillied up is like a sniper mission. And like the little tricks it has where like, it can tell, you know, you have price spotting for you and it gives you good advice on how to land the shot you're aiming for in a fairly analog 
way mm. and some of it's kind of like you know stealth puzzle solving stuff but also you can fuck up the stealth puzzle and it becomes a you know guns live thing and and it sort of you know turns into a different sort of game and this very organic like interspersing of voice acting into that experience feels like a magic trick there's some very very impressive sort of subtle intertwining of nonsense because it's not like it's the frustration with it is if this level of polish and um detail and sort of systemic depth was applied to something where i like really was invested in the world or the characters i think it would be a genuinely quite special experience the the thing that weakens it is it's call of duty and you know you you, but but i i have to admit i did increasingly find it more and more kind of oddly charming as time went on and i think the you know there's a meme a couple of years ago where someone found it was like a post i think from like a dog's home website or whatever where there was like a rottweiler and the description of the rottweiler was like rottweiler big dog strong dog good dog strong dog guard your house bite only when told to great dog and someone just like labeled it like did a rottweiler write this (laughs) um the whole game clicked for me when i when i started to think did ghost write this (laughs) because because if you if you imagine it because uh, this is an old joke from Paul and I, but like he's called Ghost because he clearly leaves all parties early. Like oh. he's 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 clearly a very lonely man. <laughs> <laughs> and like there's a bit where they all have to dress up as Ghost for a mission, and they're like, "We're all Ghost now," and it's like, "Oh, he's been accepted." <laughs> and like I started almost rooting for him as he sort of like awkwardly shuffles around, refusing to take his mask off, even in situations where it'd be completely normal to do so. And this, yeah, it's it's just very very funny, um, and there are some genuinely surprising shifts. It gains a crafting system for a while. Hmm. Um, it's la- oh, man. I will say this: if you really really care about COD spoilers, maybe skip ahead a bit. But it's not a plot spoiler. It decides at one point that it kind of just wants to be alien isolation, but instead of the alien, it's just a big man, and. You're trying to kill him with scissors that you find, and the scissors break every time you use them, and you got to go scooting off into desks to find more scissors. That's them reusing <laughs> the uh, reusing the screwdriver child uh, mechanics. Yes, the preceding... but like if, if the screwdriver child was now a big Scotsman who's momentarily forgotten how to shoot a gun, <laughs> like <laughs> oh, it's so good. Um, yeah, and I then, really do like those. Yeah. I mean, when it is diverging from the actual rote action of shooting i think it it does deliver some really exciting sequences but it's it is weird that like the when it when it falls back on its bread and butter of clicking on men i find it exceedingly boring like i'm always itching for the next canned semi canned sequence to to interrupt me because it you know, like like that bit where you're hanging upside down from uh, a helicopter like that's followed by a sequence of just whack a mole uh Al Qaeda whack a mole, where you you know these men pop up from the backs of trucks for literally a full Earth year, and you click on them in turn, and you know you realise why the game has to have this flighty attention span. It's because there's nothing about its gun mechanics that are particularly thrilling. Like there's nothing tactically that interesting about that stuff. One thing that's interesting is I think its fundamental gunplay is interesting, but not in a corridor. Yeah, and and I think. When the when the campaign breaks, when the campaign opens up into its big environments, um, it's significantly better because the same mechanics fundamentally work really well in co op. 
where you're kind of coordinating to take people down. But they work best when you have freedom of approach because really COD has always been a game where like if you get the drop on someone, the lethality is so high, this is true in almost every mode, they're dead. Mm. And so it's a positioning game. You take away positioning, you put people in the corridor and it becomes rote. It was very hard, like even on, I think, the average difficulty that I played it on, it can be very difficult at times. And it loves to shoot you with a guy you didn't see and then show you a Gandhi quote and then throw you back in to do it again <laughs> for some reason. Yeah. Um, but I think I think the camp, it's, more, it's less that the mechanics themselves aren't sufficient. It's more that the campaign spends a little bit too long in moments where the mechanics don't have a chance to be interesting in the way that they are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, where it's like the, the sort of the tactical and strategic decisions you make around shooting aren't really present because you're not picking your loadout and you are, your direction of travel has been set for you by the set piece that you're kind of going in, going through. But yeah, like I think, I think it's, I certainly think it's wildly inconsistent. Like the, the good missions are good and then they end and then the next one might be complete horseshit, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't overstand its way. And then I think that's why it's important to me to have broken out the other side of that and then played tons of the multiplayer and then the co-op and then the new stuff because you realize that like, oh, that's what this all of this was for. What this was was like a movie introduction in a daft way for this much bigger, quite different game. Um, but one where the system still create moments where, you know, jeeps jump over cliffs truck cliff edges is um a truck drives past underneath and then gets hit by a cruise missile etc 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 something i did want to talk about though so i've mentioned the death screen thing i feel like one thing that's really interesting to me at least or maybe just abstractly from a narrative point of view just to stay on the campaign a little longer is looking at it as this nostalgic tribute to classic modern warfare um, it is that in absolute spades, but it's very, very different in one very specific regard, which I think is quite interesting, which is the the original kind of Xbox 360 era modern warfare games preceded the era of cinematic universes and live service games that roll on forever. And this has a, and the new one has been built for that era, right? Like, soap and ghost these characters their arrival in warzone were marketing beats the kind of the fact that warzone has this mad story that sort of intertwines into the story of the core games is a big deal um i don't want to spoil stuff but like this game explicitly sort of ends on a note that sets up a explicit return to many of modern warfare 2's most notorious moments and so they're leaning on all of this stuff but one thing that occurred to me that has completely vanished is Call of Duty's fatalism. Um, You know, I made a joke a minute ago about the loading screen death messages, right? Like the kind of like the Marcus Aurelius shows up or whatever, (laughs) and occasionally it's just a character from the game kind of inconsistently. And like, I always got the impression that in Call of Duty, there was an ironic kind of drive to that, right? That like, to the extent that old modern warfare had anything to say, it was like, you know, trying to juxtapose the grubbiness of war with the kind of um, loftier ideas that get pinned to it. So, you know, you get gunned down unceremoniously and then you see a quote about peace or something like that. And the thing that backs that up is they were almost, they were always tremendously kind of lethal feeling worlds as well. And the oldest COD trick 
is to have you play as a character that is abruptly and shockingly killed right like call of duty oh, yeah. people people forget this call of duty had like a real thing for the surprising game of thrones style death of a character you thought was fully plot armored up and um the new ones have totally lost that totally lost it and i, I know i'm in sort of i'm hopefully if people deeply care about this this new the story here and these characters and they have played the new one so i'm dancing around spoilers but um people forget that for example i talk about ghost a lot everyone loves ghost but um because he's such a silly character in modern warfare 2 the original one ghost is suddenly shot in the chest and burned alive in a ditch in like after having been like two scenes and he's remembered as this memorable character but he's in like two scenes and he gets abruptly killed and um and that happens to almost every character in modern warfare the originals or basically i think at the end only price is still alive um at the end of that series and that's kind of its thing and it obviously it's famous for other sequences like the no russian sequence and how cheaply it treated life and how crass it was and how sort of shallow some of that stuff is but in terms of its storytelling not brave necessarily but willing to shock the audience excited about shocking the audience at the time probably motivated to shock the audience by the conditions of its development what would get headlines what would drive interest in the new iteration of the game and so on now in the era of like characters as marketable objects that will march on into like make a little show make a little appearance in Fortnite, and mm. then go back to warzone for a bit get shipped the opposite is true mm. yeah they get shipped with one another the opposite is true they're all they're all indestructible now because they are marketable objects and i think the reason that is interesting to me is partly because it's just the way the pop culture is changing and the way that the market shapes that but also crucially because i think it really changes the kind of war story that this can tell um to the extent that it's trying to say something effectively or not and crucially that changes it to the way i'm talking about from this sort of very cynical sort of both sidesy fable about the the ruthless mythologies of war to being a still deeply sort of conservative two sidesy war story but one that is weirdly and strangely wholesome <laughs> because ultimately it's about these indestructible good boys who are just trying to do the right thing by each other because in this crazy world the only thing you can count on is a man dressed like a skeleton really does care about you johnny <laughs> And he wants you to be okay. And if you do a good job with that jury-rigged landmine you've just murdered a man with, he'll tell you, because he's not too big a man to know when another man has killed a man in a way that was quite complicated. <laughs> oh, it's so heartwarming. It is. It is. It is. It is. Um, yeah, exactly. And it, yeah, so... Um, <laughs> I don't know how how deep into the campaign did you get, Marsh? Uh, not a lot further than the uh, dangling upside down sequence. I can't remember what went after that, but uh, like an hour or so later, I think than that. Mm. Yeah, I think you. I think you've you've certainly experienced a chunk of that game's best stuff, but there's loads more in it, basically. Mm. And then yeah, and then I mean, I suppose I appreciate this is this has been cod tastic. We've been talking about cod for almost an hour, but. It is worth also talking about the rest of the massive game this is, I think. Yeah, I'm interested to know what Warzone 2 is, basically. <laughs> like, what is it that Warzone 1 wasn't? It's, it is, like, quite different. 
um, which um, so last night at the time that we're recording this, um, Paul and I streamed it. We hadn't played it before. We went we went in blind and we streamed it for seven hours. Um, by the end of which we had lost our minds. I'm not going to recommend people watch all seven hours of that VOD, but maybe we can put a link. Um, um, but um, so what's in, what what is kind of interesting is um, uh, Warzone. I really really enjoyed until it hit a point where it was just too confusing. They they changed the map to this sort of World War Two Pacific Island map called Caldera. I really didn't like. I found it very hard to navigate and specifically really hard to see. Um, I think they really fucked up their color values. That's my. That, I'm not an art director for games, but um, it had it used a lot of really bright green and blue and yellow in its kind of color palette, which for some reason just kind of blinds you. It's the kind of the I've seen the same thing leveled at the new Pokemon game actually, like where your characters are indistinct from the background. I think playing this game is really unsatisfying. Um, little problems like that and also suddenly you've got this mix of guns from like every era world war ii cold war modern and they're not power leveled like historically so it's not like world war ii guns are just shit like the sten gun might be the best machine gun but it might be equal to some modern machine gun for game reasons it was very very confusing and then they added godzilla for a couple of weeks anyway (laughs) um that's not a joke and king kong um and it became a big mess and we moved on from it Warzone 2 is in some ways a um a return to basics. Um it is set in a new map which is so Middle Eastern themed, but crucially, like it basically just brings in um building layouts, environment types, and sort of mechanics directly from the original Warzone map for Dansk. Um it also is littered with classic call of duty maps like in quite clever ways so like the build like we earlier we discovered that the kind of there's like a big pair of skyscrapers connected by like a you know, huge kind of sky bridge thing and then in that sky bridge is like an entire theory of a what of a modern original modern warfare 2 rooftop map that was like just a de- deathmatch map so the you kind of it's this sort of like um, big open environment sort of PUBG style but the actual like towns and things are built with the specificity of um like uh 6v6 maps and um a lot of those are actually in the base game a lot of them are kind of cordoned off in the base game as 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 individual maps in that exact way the other thing is like it's you know and just as a sidebar like the the fucking environmental details bananas you can go in almost every building there's so much bespoke architecture and like really specific environmental detail it's kind of extraordinary um but the fundamental bones of it as well have also been kind of quite um sort of uh reconfigured and and reapproached in a few different ways so it's really clear that they went looking at the rest of the industry so it gains some things from fortnite it gains some things from apex it gains quite a lot from PUBG. they've slowed the pace of the game down quite a bit in some ways and kind of added these details to add add rhythm to the game um and i i mean i appreciate that like the sort of um it might not be super interesting to get into the bones of every single specific detail but like for example um there's now npcs in the map and like npc strongholds that you can kind of like race to lay siege to because that will give you like specific advantages or access to different locations that that might kind of get you ahead of the gear curve as the circles start to converge they've added some details like the map can split into three separate circles that will start to move together 
for example, so that you get the sort of small circle experience sooner, which is kind of interesting. All this stuff is like battle royale minutiae, but it's all pretty specific and interesting. And I think the the kind of resetting to a more kind of um, kind of grokable set of guns and gadgets is really good. They've also lowered the lethality quite a bit, um, hmm. which feels more like Fortnite. Like breaking someone's shield takes longer and people are more armored from the beginning of the game. And that slower pace is like one of the things about this game as a whole is you have to get used to that. Like the, the, the time to kill in deathmatch is completely different to the time to kill in wars in a war zone and completely different to the time to kill in DMZ. But um its specific kind of configuration, all those details feels pretty good. And so it took us a little while to get used to it um last night and I played a little bit solo today. Um but yeah, impressed with it so far. Loads more vehicles, big helicopter as well, a small helicopter, and I love helicopters, so that's good. Um, maps seems good, and they've the even like little things like you know the the, the this is a very silly game mechanic, but in Warzone, if you die, you don't get knocked out. You go to the gulag. Oh yeah, uh, you go to prison, and then in in original Warzone, you would spawn in a one v one duel with another player, with random guns, and if you win you respawn into the main map and you can continue playing. Otherwise your, your friends have to buy you back from a, from a, a money station or a shop station. The new Gulag is a uh, 2v2, um, but you're paired with a random other person from the match. So you might have, so, you know, you've got like a temporary alliance with uh, someone who you may have just killed, actually, if you kind of killed each other. And it's 2v2 uh, against obviously another team, but about a minute into the match, the warden of the prison spawns, who's a big man with a minigun. And if the players team up and kill the warden, they all leave prison. Oh, and wow. It's a prisoner's added, dilemma. It's a prisoner's dilemma. Pretty deep. And, but also they've added like proximity voice chat, like hunt style to the game or Tarkov style to the whole game. So you can obviously switch it off, but um, they really want you to kind of play with that, like to hear people's conversations in the other side of the buildings and so on, to talk to them, to say, hey, you know, to, 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 they want you to get into the thing in the gulag where you're like, let's chill out and just kill the warden because we'll all get out or something like that. Um, so much so that um, like they've even added a mode where, and I've not seen a battle royale do this, it's called, un, it's called like Unchained, it's kind of silly, but the way it works is it's regular battle royale, the difference being you can choose to merge your teams with other teams. Hmm. So, and it's just the last team. Like on the fly? Yeah, in the match. So you can, if you could run up to some people and you're like, hey lads, you know, why don't we actually just team up? You can actually do that and then you form a super team. And like adding diplomacy to Battle Royale. Um, If there's only two teams left, can you just win the game by joining each other? I guess you might be able to. I'm not sure what happens in that exact scenario, to be honest. I haven't played it, but it's an interesting idea that they're playing with, adding all these kinds of things. And so, huh. and, and that, you know, um, you know, this is sort of, in, it's just interesting. It's like, there's, there's a, I mean, there's so much detail in the game anyway, but there's tons of stuff like that where it's like, these are, this real, real, really playing with some ideas here, design wise. And that's very true of the Tarkov mode as well. Like, um, which I think is a really earnest attempt to make, that sort of like I'm not sure what I feel like the moment it's in Call of Duty is the moment it might be becoming a genre, but because so the people, Tarkov mode yeah. is also the hunt mode, which you alluded alluded to yes. earlier. Right, it's called okay. DMZ. It takes place on the battle royale map, um, but it's its own mode. And the way it works is um, you 
basically spawn in with a team but before spawning in you will pick some missions you want to do for various factions and that's kind of how you kind of make some permanent progress or permanent upgrades and the world in this in this mode is absolutely crawling with npcs that are pretty tough they they die quickly uh, unless they're heavily armored but otherwise they do the same amount of damage players do and the ai is pretty good so um pretty accurate uh stealth as possible and all of that stuff but um it's you know you got to you got you have to be cautious you're not just gunning down loads of so suddenly you have to start playing it like hunt where you shoot if you need to that mm. kind of thing um but rather than there being set bosses to go find like in hunt i haven't played tons of tarkov so that's going to be my ignorance here um you're going to be there to do the mission that you've decided you're going to do while you're in the in the map but while you're there that you can go and loot things um you can you can just loot everything you can loot people's jacket pockets for hand cream you can steal game consoles from a shop it's ludicrous how much stuff there is to steal and you get like extra XP and points at the end of the game for the amount of stuff you manage to extract, basically nick from the Warzone. You know, you um, can get hand cream outside of Warzones. No. <laughs> um, you can't. Um, but um, you're doing these sort of self-set missions in this environment and um, and they might be, and they're fairly involved, so it might be like go and find a Geiger counter and use it to locate uh, buried radioactive material out in the desert, for example, which you then have to try and get extract with. Uh, we did one earlier where you hack a surface-to-air missile site and then it starts shooting down the loadout drop planes that would otherwise be flying over the map mm. for you. And then you can go and get them wherever they fall, but they fall based on where the plane was when it blew up. Like So they can fall in really weird places like rooftops and stuff like that, and you go and find them. Um, it could be like finding a high-value target, getting a key from them that opens a special compound that you can then complete to do a mission. And so you're doing all of this stuff, you're kind of setting all your own objectives and trying to gear up, and then you're trying to get out. So the map lasts for 20 minutes, at which point it kind of um, collapses Battle Royale style. Otherwise, there are these extraction points that you can go to to call in a helicopter, but that takes a little bit of time to get out, which again is a shared mechanic with the co-op mode, which is interesting. Like this thing starts to stitch together um and it's really good it's really good like it's it's fairly straightforward but like what it leads to is just sort of really organic open world co-op with a pvp element where it's like because it's quite lethal and like if you die you lose all the stuff you're carrying obviously you get some points for it but things like your armor vest which is like a big factor in how vulnerable you are um those can't be bought before the mission you you can go into the mission with one if you extracted with one last time, but otherwise it's kind of temporary. Right. Um, you can, you know, you can you can build up a collection of guns, but if you die with them in the mission, they're just lost. With the exception being these kind of like preset, pre-built weapons you build yourself. And the cool thing is, you build them yourself with all of the pieces you've unlocked across the entire span of Call of Duty. So you can, you know, have a favorite gun from Team Deathmatch that you can build for yourself in this mode. If you die with it then it goes on cooldown for like two hours in real time. Um, But you can speed that up by going into missions with other guns and doing well. And it's just like really intricate little ways to kind of introduce some of the kind of roguelike feel of a Tarkov or a hunt in a way that's slightly less punitive. Hmm. Does it have a way of uh, focusing PvP in the way that hunt does where, you know, once you've defeated the boss, everybody's alerted to your position? It does, but because it's it's not as focused as hunt, because it's like, it's also... It's it's forty players, I think, on a map that I think is probably easily 
10 times bigger than Hunt's maps. Right. So the player density is lower anyway. And players are not necessarily all trying to converge on the same two bosses, for example. Mm. So it's quite a different experience. Like, But almost all of the big objectives, like the, the SAM site or any of the things, like there will be a map-wide alert when players are doing it. Because, like for example, there are these, like um, I think it's called safe houses or strongholds or something, strongholds. And they're like the locked super boss locations and there's stuff in them that like only one group of players will get to extract with in them in that map. And when they start when they become under siege, they they are lit up red on the map. A bit like when you're in playing hunt and the clue turns red with players near it, mm. that kind of thing. Um so there are those encouragements to kind of say, Hey, this is happening. If you care about this, get there now. But it feels a bit more self directed because it might be that you're too far away to do anything about it. It might be that that's not relevant to the missions you set for yourself before you went in. And that actually, I quite like, I don't like, I, I think Hunt is an incredible game. And so it's not like it replaces Hunt at all. It's more that like, it can have some similar feeling moments, but it's not inevitable in the way that it is in Hunt, right? Where literally mm. only one team can win. Like if you see a team extracting and you don't think you can take them out, you don't really need to. You know what I mean? You can't let them go to go out your own objectives. It feels more like playing a kind of an MMO with PvP flags on, actually, in some ways. Like when you're in one of those shared zones where you mm. could fight the other players, but you don't necessarily have to. But if you get in, you know, if they're in their way or they're being aggressive towards you, then you probably will. And obviously, if you're desperate for stuff, you probably will as well. Um, like it definitely doesn't incentivize it. Like you get the same amount of XP for killing an NPC as you do a player. So you're not encouraged to farm players at all. Oh, interesting. Um, mm. Like, but I find it quite, it's sort of, um, it's like you see NPCs, you know, they'll be aggressive. You see players, you keep an eye on them to see what they do. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. Wow, and again, I think they want you to team up. Yeah, it is. It's like, it fits into that like family of games because I personally, I, I think, I think I just never really got Tarkov. Like I know how so many people who love it desperately. I really like Hunt. But I feel like both of those games emerged in some ways from Battle Royale or from the same kind of post-armor ecosystem as Battle Royale. Um, and I think when Hunt, for example, was first finding its feet, it was thought of in some ways with the same kind of, you know, spirit as a Battle Royale game because really, it wasn't really a word for it. Um, but it's it's the arrival of that mode, whatever you would call it, like open world survival shooter roguelike pve kind <laughs> <Yeah>. of thing <laughs> um in cod in a kind of accessible in, in its chicken nuggets form um feels like oh this is a little genre <laughs> you know like this is a little genre distinct from battle royale because cod has observed this distinct from battle royale and put it on the menu next to the battle royale hmm. um it's, is dmz part of the paid package of modern warfare 2 is it part of the free package of warzone 2 I think it's free. I don't know, though. It's very confusing to me how these things are delineated. Because yes, currently, if you you know, if you click on my Call of Duty Modern Warfare Two install, it has slash Warzone Two, and the logo for it is Warzone Two. But I never installed Warzone Two. <laughs> I installed Modern yeah. Warfare Two. Um, because you can install them. Because Warzone is Warzone is free. Modern Warfare Two is not. But they do share a progression system um i think dmc is free but that's big podcast voice i, I don't want to click too much because i don't have noise cancellation on um but i would i would definitely um i'm not sure basically i'm not sure 
uh, but they all feed into the same battle pass, I guess. So, you know, uh, who knows? But yeah, it's like all this stuff is legit good, to be honest. Like, you know, and, and this is what I mean about like the campaign being the, the pointy end of so much of this in the positive sense and it introduces you to a lot of mechanics that you'll find yourself using later. Um, like if you enjoy SWAT or kind of strategic co-op modern army man Clancy stuff, it's a legit good game in that genre. The The campaign front loads all of its most offensive stuff and then you play multiplayer and it's just, it's just a, it's just a war game, you know, like that stuff doesn't rear its head really at all. I think maybe it's a little unfortunate that the new Battle Royale map has a kind of like strong Middle Eastern theme, but it it is not recognizably um, any particular country. And the the spread of kind of building types and the mixture of urban areas and rural areas and stuff is it could just as easily be the Eastern European setting from the original Warzone. So, you know, it's easy to kind of just not think about it i suppose and maybe that's you know <laughs> good and well, bad i would say that. it is good and bad yeah <laughs> like i i am not convinced that this is a game that's going to change any minds in any particular direction basically mm. you know like if you accept the basic premise that you are playing soldiers soldiers from army the big one army then you know it is as inoffensive as that can be in its multiplayer context um but obviously if it's not your cup of tea it's not your cup of tea i do personally wish it was a sci-fi game i just do i think i think if it was if it had like apex's setting ironically like the titanfall setting it would just be a great game frankly and it would be a very easy recommendation because it would be rendered harmless by the presence of funny robots and it is not like that and so there's a lot of war crimes so <laughs> the the sequence where you calibrate your mouse to see if you like it inverted or not you're playing a cruise missile on the way to assassinate an iranian general something that happened in real life that the game apparently feels able to include as a tutorial um <laughs> i like your, your war crimes voice there and that must it's go alongside podcast voice as one of the canonical voices of this this show but crucially that is call of duty's war crime voice it's not mine. You know what I mean? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. ghosts, can ha- ghosts can have a little war crime as a treat. I do like the fact that you don't have to st- install Battle.net anymore. Yeah. That's a relief. Yeah, big win. Yeah. Oh boy, oh boy. That was a, that was a hel- healthy helping of COD. I'm intrigued to play it a little bit more now, especially the DMZ mode. That does sound good. What have, we, well, what have you been playing, Marsh? I've been playing uh, a game called A Little to the Left. Um, which I don't have long thoughts to say about it because it's quite a simple game in a way. It's just a chill sort of sort of puzzler. You know, it's I say sort of because it's more like the sort of uh, the poking pictures nicely to make a fun animation go subgenre of puzzlers, mm. uh, which aren't really about, you know, cracking a fiendish cryptic design and really more about just having nice tactile interaction with a, a piece of illustration. Um, in fact, actually, one of the sort of like the the kind of greatest progenitors of that genre, um, a game called Windowsill, has just been re-released on Switch. I think it was originally a Flash game by Victor Park, and now it's uh, now it's on Switch. Uh, Switch. Um, it was a lovely game. I can't imagine it's got any less lovely for being on Switch. So maybe people should check that out. Uh, but a little to the left is much in this sort of same sort of vein. Like each screen 
of the game has this sort of assortment of gorgeously illustrated items in some sort of disarray and the player simply just has the objective of ordering them and Mm. some of that is just obvious so like for example you have a bunch of pencils and you need to move the pencils around so that they ascend in height or perhaps so that they span the color spectrum in the right order um or you know uh, maybe you put a bunch of forks in the drawer that fits them best and spoons in another um so there's sort of like uh scratching that uh just tidiness desire that people have but it's also uh, there are kind of more obscure orders that you can obtain like you know burning down candles until they're all of equal length or arranging postcards so that that, like some elements of the design on each of them draws a continuous line through all the adjacent images and so there is a sort of like guessing what the designer has in mind for this particular arrangement Um, and the game sort of restricts your interactions to reduce that possibility space a little bit Um, and, and, and as I said, sometimes it allows you to order things in a number of different and equally valid ways, and you can return to puzzles again and again to tick all of them off. Um, but that's basically it. It's just a, a really nice tactile toy. Um, it does have a weird, uh, sort of like, uh, tidy of the day uh, game, which you know refreshes every day, and I, it just creates a bunch of tessellating objects, and you need to put them together like a jigsaw puzzle, basically, um, which is quite pleasing. It's not especially challenging. A few of the arrangements I thought were questionable, um, and some of them required interactions that were specific to that puzzle, and I felt a little difficult to guess and uh, just execute intuitively. But on the whole, it's just incredibly pleasing and joyous. Um, And it's also got a lovely cat in it, which periodically helps your efforts uh, by swiping everything to the floor, etc. It's good. It's nice. That's nice. all there is to say about it, though. I feel like, I wonder if, um, I mean, this is hardly a, a deep observation, but, uh, you know, it, it'd be interesting to know if the, um, if that kind of like puzzle of the day was, is, is a, is the influence of, you know, roguelikes with a similar thing or Wordle. I think it's you know the Wordle I mean? thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. <laughs> that, but like games sort of that can sit in the, in the middle between those things, right? Like, um, between sort of the kind of daily rotation of puzzles on a phone sort of domain and the, you know, current obsession game of choice domain that might like a, I don't know, like a Spelunky Daily Challenge or a mm. Slay the Spy Daily Challenge might represent. I don't particularly deep observation there necessarily, just that there are these, I find it interesting where these things yeah. curl with one another. I don't think it's terribly successful in that regard because it's a little too uh, facile a challenge for you to need to boot up an entire application to access I think if it was just like something you did in a web browser, then maybe you would do that once a day. But for some reason, there's just a barrier <laughs> between me and, and doing that each day since you have to open Steam and, and double click an icon. I don't know if it's on the phone as well. Maybe that would be a, a lower barrier to entry for something that simple. Mm. Are you still playing Wordles every day? I am, yeah. I took a several year break from Wordles. Uh, it feels like several years. I don't know how long it's actually been, um, and, but I am. Yeah, I'm still doing the New York Times crossword every day as well. Oh, yeah. um, that's my. I'm almost uh, that streak has almost hit 1100. Good lord! Um, that's the, uh, yeah, yeah, which means I can never stop. But um, you, you really know Yoko Ono's last name. I do, I do, <laughs> I do. Uh, two different spellings of Tsar. Did you know? Mm. Um, uh, yeah, 
I don't really have any photos. I do the the mini as well. My, that's my puzzle rotation. It's Wordle, oh, yeah. Mini, New York Times crossword. I really um, want uh, Spelling Bee to be free, but I know that uh, I'd probably just spend all morning doing I don't, <laughs> I don't like Spelling Bee. You don't like it? No. No. Well, I actually, oh, I, I failed Wordle today. So this is the second one I've ever failed. Oh, shit. Um, but it's one of those ones where it's like you get you get the structure of the word too late and oh, there are yeah. like three different words it can be. Yeah, um, I went through. And, uh, I'm yeah. looking at it right now. That was that was frustrating. <laughs> I had most, you know, all three of the letters on on the on the first go, but there was just a large number of different options. Which yeah, could be from yeah. That point. Sometimes it fuck you. Sometimes mm-hmm. it fucks you. That's that's the way of it. Um, yeah, the the my deep relationship with the New York Times crossword is now hit a point where I just sort of like kind of know its ways mostly, and then. You can t- you can get you can get the sniff of horse shit on the air where it's doing something really where it's like you've just made up a phrase you have just made up a phrase <laughs> I can I can see it and we're all and we know it's hard to do a crossword every day so I'm going to forgive you but how do you like, deal with all the on, fucking baseball knowledge it requires etc just gaining baseball knowledge oh, well. like occasionally you gain occasionally so if I, I have a rule for myself because obviously if you use its in game checker you lose your streak so that's forbidden. But if I get to the end and the grid is complete and I genuinely do not know where my error is, like I can't see an error in anything I have put in, but there's a bunch of maybe like names that cross on a vowel that could be any of them, then your keyboard roll them. And if there are two, there are several of those, so you have like several points of ambiguity, I do let myself Google the baseball players in that scenario. That's fair I think enough. That I think. seems fair where it's like, I just need to find out what this guy from the, you know, this guy is called, like, how is this name spelled? Because I've, you know, because you can intuit things that sound like names and eventually you just learn the names. But um, occasionally an A is an E and by surprise or something, you know? Yeah. Well, you have um, uh, a book of a thousand New York Times crosswords that we were chugging through. And they're, they're, they're big ones. I don't know exactly how many... Uh, what the dimensions of them are, but they they must date back to like the 1920s. So it's it's even harder because you you know you have the full history of baseball, <laughs> basically, right. uh, and there's there's no guessing some of those some of those people's names or you know actresses from the from the golden era who've, who've long since fallen off off the face of the earth. Um, so I, I tend to look through the crosswords in advance flag the questions which are pure bullshit <laughs> and then uh look up those answers selectively fill them in and then do the rest of the crossword which is obviously cheating but actually it's the only way to make those crosswords enjoyable it's a crossword at the end of the day like talk about victimless crimes you know? <laughs> what have you been playing chris uh, yeah, so the other thing I've been playing, um, and I suspect it'll be something I want to return to, so I won't go super deep today, um, is Road Warden, um, which is a uh, sort of uh, role-playing adventure game released by a developer called Aureus, I believe. Uh, their studio is um, called Moral Anxiety. I believe it's, I think, maybe with the exception of the music, a one-person show. Extremely impressively so, um, that being the case. Um, it's a really... Um, I'm really impressed by it so far. And the reason I'm kind of not going to go super deep is I kind of just want to give give the recommendation and then sort of talk a little bit about what my experience with it's been like so far, but on the understanding that I feel like I'm just sort of beginning to tap away at its 
um, scope and depth. So it's a it's a text based RPG with uh, with pixel art illustration uh, in a kind of um, very attractive monochromatic way with kind of lovely music, and that just alone is very kind of like a meditative, nice meditative way to um, explore a world. And you play as a character called a road warden who is effectively a kind of roaming messenger slash sometime adventurer slash monster hunter in a northern wilderness in a fantasy world where creatures of all kinds are sort of uh distrusted and treated like uh monsters basically uh, a very unforgiving wilderness where like yes there are dragons and goblins and things but i mean even your horse is treated with distrust um, because of the kind of like fractious relationship between the city and the wilderness and road wardens are the kind of negotiators between those spaces. And you are the new road warden arriving in this kind of uh, uh, uncharted, well, it's, it's not uncharted, it has it has scattered villages, but like as yet unkind of colonized wilderness, I suppose, fully. Um there to pursue an agenda that you largely get to set for yourself near the beginning of the game um and you know and you have 40 days before you return to the city that has dispatched you to kind of explore this wilderness and you do so through predominantly through text um there is an element of the occasional use of skills or gear or magic even to kind of like find new options through the setting but fundamentally it's a text based game or an interactive fiction game um but it is also really uh heavily system driven like the the things i would compare it to are the sunless games sky sunless skies and sunless seas also sorcery Mm. in a big way in a big way um in terms of like it's not a dice roll crpg right like not in that sense you are encountering scenarios and kind of navigating things however the additional depth of like systemic design in there is really successful at helping you feel like you're not just kind of clicking your way through a choose your own adventure. Like I love choose your own adventure, don't get me wrong, but it's, you're not going through a kind of branching deterministic set of pathways necessarily. Um, the, the layering of like a time mechanic in terms of the passage of time and the fact that you have 40 days and so on. And that that affects, you know, um, the, you know, it's an open world pretty much. Um, and so where you go and when and when you meet certain characters and what order you meet characters in affects kind of the, your experience of the story. Um, there's also kind of gear and various statuses, the state of your gear, how well kept you are, all of these different stats it's tracking that affect those kind of outcomes. And then this really nice sort of like analog, I guess, apparently I'm overusing the word analog tonight, but um, very organic feeling kind of knowledge thing where it is in addition to the stuff it tracks for you in quests and journal entries and things it's also relying on you to actually read the text and understand the world and pay attention to details and make notes if you need to uh you know and so it actually does a fair amount with the occasional open text field where yeah i don't know you'll you'll approach a it's sort of got a folk horror kind of thing so you'll approach a an altar in the uh in the swamp and you'll walk up to it and you can press a button to like you know try to leave an offering on the altar and in another sort of in a what i what i would expect from a traditional interactive fiction game is 
if you don't have any of the preset objects that you can put on the altar, uh, you will get a thing saying like, I don't think I can put anything here. Or maybe you'll see some options that are grayed out that will hint where you need to go or something like that. Or maybe you'll see the list of things that you have that are valid. In this, you get a text box and you type in hmm. what you want to try. And lots of things work. Oh, and wow. Some things will result. And then, um, and it sort of intersperses that. So occasionally, a character, you know, the things that kind of surprise you, like you can't really rinse certain characters' dialogue trees because like there's an innkeeper quite early on who's knowledgeable about the region. And if you click the option to say like, I'd like to ask you something, he goes, what would you like to ask? What would you like to ask about? And it's a text box. And you just have to like, if you've learned, you know, I'd learned the name of a mayor from a different village down the road and I could type in her name and he gave me his perspective on her. And it sort of told me a little bit more about the character. It's not necessarily like unlocks a quest or something like that, but it gives me some sense of that character's motivations. Um, I had another scenario where I bumped into a character. I realized that I had come across the dwelling of a character that I'd heard about from another character who had said their name, but I hadn't written it down. And um, and then I, that character says something like, yeah, says something like, you know, you can basically go up to them and say like, hey, who are you? Or I think I've heard of you or whatever. And I said, like, I think I've heard of you. And, and she said, yeah, what's my name? Text box. I completely forgotten. And then... <laughs> I, but I could remember, I remembered that she was some sort of magic person. So I typed in like, uh, you know, like sorceress and she's like, you don't know my name, do you? And like, no, I've forgotten your name. <laughs> like, <laughs> and that, that stuff feels really nice. It feels like a really nice kind of breaking of like that kind of path, like breaking slightly into that kind of her story territory or Oberdin territory of like trying, you know, actually having slightly more wider pool of information to draw on when you interact with things. Um, I'm only, I think I've played like two or three hours of it now. And that's partly because it's a game that you really want, you really want to sink into it. Um, you want to also go in with a mindset of being ready to read. The writing's really good. Like genuinely, I think this is a, this is a, a pretty extraordinary effort for, from, uh, you know, a single dev, I believe. And mm -hmm. apologies if it's a small team, it's still impressive. Um, like in terms of the, the breadth and the depth of content and the attention to kind of layering different kinds of narrative design um, on top of each other to kind of create this genuine kind of open adventure in a space. I think it's really impressive and the writing's really good. Um, but I think it's, um, it's something that you go into really wanting to sink into it, to do the reading, to pay attention to details, maybe to have a notebook to hand. I think it would be a great, like, I think I'm in a position at the moment where I'm playing it because I genuinely admire what it's trying to do. I think it's doing it really effectively. I'm very absorbed by its world. Um, I'm also just have a professional interest in this kind of narrative design. And so, you know, I kind of want to pick its brains to some extent. However, my life, I will say this, has lent itself more to like, I'm going to run around in circles in Call of Duty and <laughs> have a gun adventure than to, I'm going to, you know, enjoy a slow afternoon with, a, you know, a couple of cups of tea and this, really nice uh atmospheric indie rpg um that is not to its discredit it's mine like it, it is sort of you know uh demanding a level of attack not even patience because i have a lot of patience for good writing in games it's um it's attention it's it's um attention span basically right. you know it's, it's looking for some real absorption and attention to detail and uh, not to simply click through conversations on the way to the next action thing because it's broader 
you know, it, it, that 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 willingness for it to pop up a little text box and go, got any ideas? Kind of punishes you if you were kind of just skipping the text. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, not that you can really skip text and text adventures anyway, but people do try. But yeah, I, I'm really impressed by it. I think it's a great little game. And I would, if, if anything I've said about it perks your interest, I, I would recommend it already based on what I've played of it. But from people I know who have played more of it, I've heard only good things as well. So. Pixel art is very, very attractive. It's it is. Very nice yeah. indeed. It's sort of not isometric. I don't know what the people call that view where it's a. Uh, well, I suppose maybe it is. Maybe it is. Yeah, I think it is isometric. Some, yeah, to some degree. Yeah. yeah. Gorgeous. Also, there are. Yes. Yeah, the, uh, it looks like the kind of game where a character will refer to his horse as a palfrey. And uh, they, that doesn't happen in the open. In the opening scene, that happens. Wow, there you go. Time to palfrey, extremely low. <laughs> um, time to palfrey, extremely low. Uh, time to alembic, also very low. Um, just, yeah, it's beautifully written. Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, I mean, I think this is the thing. Like, what I would recommend anyone who works in sort of like RPG development or fantasy storytelling do, or, you know, indie games or indie RPGs or those kinds of things, is uh, play it, appreciate it, uh, and, and actually make sure you do appreciate it because honestly the alternative is just makes you a little bit angry that one person did this <laughs> um you know that's your other choice your other choice is just to become cross at it um but i will say like in terms of like an interesting also it's also even though it has traditional some high fantasy elements griffins and and uh, dragons and goblins and things it feels like very much a character piece about your own character and how you address the world and how you talk to people and how you express yourself and about relationships and reputation and appearance and interpersonal kind of dealings. And in some ways, the politics, like I haven't played enough of it to really get a sense of where it's fully going with this, but I get the impression that it's very interested in the politics of um, settlement and colonization and wilderness and so on. Hmm. And that depth is very much appreciated. So I would say early this is an early thing to say but i would say that like if you kind of have been missing disco elysium oh i would probably go here honestly very different in terms of tone but not different in terms of i think depth of thought um and so yeah i you know i'm getting a similar like no it doesn't have the same um sense of humor that i've discovered like those sort of the sardonic side to disco but it, it has a similar sort of um quality of intelligent world building i will say so yeah real good i the one of the we before recording this podcast we discussed whether or not we were going to do cod first or second and part of me wonders if the full hour of like chicken nugget time um, will have meant that the people <laughs> who need to hear about Road Warden won't because they'll have they'll have died of old age. Um, but um, I actually appreciate getting a chance to end on this because I feel like I feel like someone who has just spent an hour justifying the decision to eat forty chicken nuggets in a day by saying I also had a lovely potato dauphinois on the side, <laughs> um, and. Um, uh, you know, take that as you will. Take that as you will. Um, <laughs> we must end now, though, Chris, because there are some uh, Middle Eastern pastries downstairs that I simply must cram into my face. Mm, I think I'm going to go upstairs, have a big spoonful of ill-advised spicy jambalaya and lie down and try and sleep. Good night, Chris. Good night, Marsh. I should do the outro, though, shouldn't I? Yes, you should, yeah. That's all the time for this podcast. 
If you'd like to send us a question, you can do so at questions at Crate and Crowbar. You can tweet us at Crate and Crowbar for as long as Twitter remains alive. All these recordings are uploaded as videos to YouTube, where you can find other shit by us. The address for that is youtube.com slash Crate and Crowbar. Thanks, as always, to our backers on Patreon. You can back us too at patreon.com slash Crate and Crowbar, or you can simply join our lovely Discord community, the link for which is on our website, crateandcrowbar.com. That was speedy, wasn't it? That was very good. Yeah, yeah well done. Yeah, thanks. That's it. I've been Marsh Davis. I've been Simon Ghost Riley. <laughs> thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs>